beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And happy Christmas Eve. Happy Christmas Eve to you, my good friend. What did you ask for from Santa this year? It was a cologne, but I can't. I don't know what what the name of the cologne will be, but I'm getting a cologne. Excellent. How about you? I, I, I look forward to hearing about what that cologne will. I'll be. let you know when it when it arrives. When it arrives, you'll have to let me know. That's excellent. Very How about good. you? What do you what what you, what you gonna get? You looking for anything I don't know special? What I'm gonna get. I um, I uh, I I. There's always so many things, you know. Um, but I'm always hoping for new music and more books about music because I don't have enough. Man, you're lacking those books. That's for sure. I'm lacking in those books, but mostly I want to have a nice time with my friends and my family and my lovely wife, Christy and uh, love it. Just enjoy. T- I, and I'm hoping I'm going to see you over the holiday. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to come down at some point to Philly and, and do a little visit at some point. Um, yeah. We'll have to see. I, you know me, I'm, I'm always overwhelmed by like some, I've, endless options of things of like staying or local. And I was like, yeah. maybe I should see if there's a cheap flight and go back down to new Orleans for a couple of days and see if I can get down right. there and just tool around right. just for fun. But yeah. we'll see. I'll end we'll up see. sustain here and reading a book. Watch. Well, in, <laughs> in any event, I'm glad to be spending some of this holiday season with you. Absolutely. Same. And I'm happy to be when doves podcasting right now about this record. We're finally able to get to today. Ed, what is it? Yeah, I, I'm with you. This is this is Prince of the Revolution live in 85. And it's funny, Jared, I was thinking about this. You know, we have our It's a Wonderful Life. We have our Christmas story. I think Prince fans should take this holiday season every year and revisit this concert. Like, I think this should be a yearly thing that people do. Get some friends and family together. Get festive. Put this wonderful document this document of prince's just epic powers and enjoy it like it's just it's it was wonderful to come back and revisit this material and also i did notice the difference in the sound quality it was it was noticeable yes for sure yeah and um for people who don't know um i'm sure most of you do if you're listening to the show and ed as you know this was originally um a concert video as opposed to yeah an album release you know yep. um and in fact it wasn't released as a audio only for decades mm-hmm. um and so to have it now is pretty incredible yeah and i know like and i i was very much you know we always talk about like with my awareness of things like i was certainly aware of this uh video coming out i sadly did not get to see the purple rain tour um, as, even though I was a huge fan of Prince, but I was all of 15 at the time. So right, I didn't have right. the money or the means. So I remember friends from high school, there was like a bus trip to go to Philly and see it. Oh, and wow. there was so much money and I couldn't get the money together to go. And they went and they, of course, they loved it, understandably. But I was all over this video. Like I would watch this. I didn't own it, but I would rent it all the time. Yeah. And I mentioned right. on the last uh, pod that I actually had recorded the audio directly through like the V, the VCR. I remember. Yes. Grab it. But, um, yeah, and and I have to say, like it, the original version of it, the video version, like the lighting gets a little dark, like you can look, kind of lose prints in the mix, yeah. and the audio too is a little like sketchy at times. So uh, it's cool that they came in and, and completely gave us a re remastered kind of approach to get this in a better place. Yeah, agreed completely. And as you know, as as you've heard me say many times on this show, I'm a big fan of live records. I'm a big fan of live albums. Yeah, 
I think that that's where you can find the, uh, how do I want to say this? Like the measure of the musician and how they, and how their live performances. Yep. And certainly this is a worthy chronicle of one of the great live performers of our time of our lifetime. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. I mean, this is such an, yeah, it's just such a wonderful, like I said, document of, of Prince at a very specific time in him and, and the, and the revolutions um, career, their, their tra- trajectory. And um, yeah, and there's so much to talk about with this thing. So I don't know, do you use some facts and figures when we get there? Well, but let me ask you, let me pause. Cause again, you came to Prince a little late. So I'm assuming you really had no awareness of this, this concert. I did. Material. I, I, I don't think I, um, that's a great question. How do I want to answer this? I, think I was aware that there was a video out there, like a concert film. Yeah. But I had I had not seen it. I didn't see it until I was probably in my thirties, I don't think. You know? Well Prince pulled it, which I didn't realize when I was reading some yeah. stuff about this. At one point he just pulled it off the market. Yeah. And it was hard to find and you couldn't yeah. track it down. And um so but but coming back to it now it's it's kind of a revelation, and you know this is this is a little nerdy thing I'm about to say, but um, I know you can roll with me on this. I often think about, I shouldn't say often. That sounds like I'm a crazy person, but I think sometimes about you know who was the best band in the world at any given time. Oh yeah, yeah, I know you often I think, think that. It's like who's the best band here in this particular snapshot of time? Who was the best band in the world? And sometimes there are bands who are able to hold that title belt for a few years, and then they drop it to someone else like pro wrestling style. I think that for, for my money um, from 1984 to 1985, at the minimum, the best band in the world was Prince and the revolution. Oh, they, you know, they, they were, were crushing it. Yeah. They were, and they were crushing it. They were so tight. Yeah. He, I mean, of course he rehearsed them until their fingers were ready to fall off. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so, and, and also this tour was huge and yeah. they were they were working every night. They were they were on the job every night. So the band is incredibly tight and and I think they really were the best band in the world in that in that particular stretch. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I think I think they were a, they're definitely a formidable band. And and I think all that all you said, all that rehearsal and you know, the uniqueness of this particular concert and tour for Prince, I know I'm getting ahead of things, just stop me, but you know, there it's been there's been known that, uh, you know, if you hear about this tour, like Prince uh, fatigued about it. We'll get there. We can talk about that because it was so tight, like so scripted in a lot of ways. And I want to talk about that as we talk through the, the the playlist and the sequence of the songs here and how the tour or this concert kind of flows. But Prince was trying to project in a live like theater setting the movie. Yes. They fed off each other. So he was extra like detail oriented with the band and, and, and guys, I reference this every once in a while and I will reference it again. You know, the estate does their own podcast occasionally. Um, they just did one on diamonds and pearls with there's a new yeah. release. They do have a two, a really short, it's worth a listen. It's not, not a lot of time, like 30 minutes each. There's only two episodes about this release yeah. talking to Wendy and Brown Mark and, and Bobby and, and other folks about this particular tour and how Prince was, hyper focused on this having to feel like the movie was so he was way more controlling about 
the product that was put on the stage every night had to be consistent, could not vary too, too, too much. Whereas other tours like Prince could vary his set list from night to night to play something that he wanted with maybe some slight adjustments here and there with this one. But he wanted folks to be pulled in as though they were part of the movie, which I think is a really cool cool idea here given how big purple rain the, the, the album and the movie was and now we have the tour to, to complement. totally agree totally agree and of course i mean i don't think this is facts and figures what i'm about to say but Ed, I, I know you can speak to this um and i think some of the reviews i'm going to pull up speak to this as well when prince decided to end the purple rain tour primarily because he was kind of bored of it already right yeah. like he felt like he had explored the material as far as it could go Purple Rain was still a fairly new record and and yeah. he could have toured it for another year probably and the the revolution were surprised they were yeah. shocked that he said I'm pulling the plug on this we're moving on to the next thing yeah and so imagine I don't know like it's a fun alternate history thing to play with like what if he kept doing this for another year what would have happened you know um I don't yeah know. I mean I don't I don't question his decision because like, how do you like he saw how big it was and, right. you know, he was already as he was doing the tour, he was like getting Sheila E's Romance 1600 album together. He was right. also getting record. He's bringing, you know, recording mobile units to the different locations. And he starts he had around the world in a day recorded and ready to go yes. and started right. recording parade while yes. he was still doing, you yes. know, finishing the tour up. So like he was, you know, that, that was the thing I've always admired about him. He like, he was always forward thinking, a forward look, always like, forward thinking. He, he yeah, would not sit on anything. He wants to keep moving forward. Correct. So I certainly appreciate that. Absolutely. Correct. So Correct. it's wanted to have though, this sort of this living document of this time for him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that all being said, should we hear a little Christmas time facts and From Christmas time, Christmas time, facts and figures, Jared. Facts and figures. Here we go. Facts and figures on Prince and the Revolution live. It was originally recorded on March 30th, 1985. That was the date of the show. It was at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, Syracuse New York. Go Orange Men. Oh, go Orange Men. It was originally released as a video first only on July 29th, 1985. So not too long after the show. And then as far as I, I mentioned, it was, wasn't was released audio only for years. So we finally got um, a digital version of it on May 15th, 2020. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until June 3rd, 2022 that we got a physical copy of it. Uh, yeah, on vinyl and CD, and I have the vinyl on that. Do you, did you yeah. get the vinyl on that? Ad? I did not get the vinyl, but I think after listening to it, I probably will. You, you so, should. It's, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's worth it on vinyl. It's worth it on vinyl. Um, so yeah, so this concert was also, Ed, as I'm sure you know, was broadcast live throughout Europe as the final act of something that was called Rock Night, the yeah. 15th Rock Night, an all night show of four concerts staged by the West German public broadcaster. West Deutscher Rundfunk as part of its Rock Palast series. Nice. And it was simulcast by Eurovision across Europe, which is why at the top of the show, Prince says, hello, the world. Yeah, Syracuse in the world. Yeah, Syracuse in the world, right, which is pretty cool. Um, And then what else? So, yeah, so it was released on VHS in July of 85. And then there was a DVD version that wasn't released until the 2017 deluxe edition of Purple Rain. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because as you said, he pulled it. 
there wasn't a DVD of it for a long time. Yeah, he so. didn't. He just pulled it off for whatever reason. He just pulled it off the market for whatever for a reason. Yeah. Uh, so that's all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, and I'll say too, the total length of the record is 116 minutes. Yeah. I'm wondering, Jared, I don't know if you know this off the top, probably not. And we don't research team where we let go early for the holiday. Um, right. Was he the first act to have a simulcast like lot? I thought he had simulcast the audio only through radio in Europe. I didn't realize it was a broadcast. Like, I'm wondering if he was one of the first people to do that. We'll be back after a quick break. Is real music dying? What even is real music, and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions, and we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in, and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, I, I um I couldn't tell you the f- the full rankings of it, but you might remember this ad that in 1969, I think, or maybe it was 68, the Beatles, the Beatles did All You Need Is Love and that was simulcast around the world. Okay. Uh, so that was a live that was a live performance around the world, but that was that was the Beatles. You know, always have to put themselves in the spotlight those Beatles. Always. I mean, they're oh my god, they're so selfish the Beatles, you know? Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> let's do some reviews. Yes, let's on hear it. On Prince Live in 85. This is from our friends at Pitchfork. Hey, Pitchfork. Did you already read this one? I probably scanned it. I don't recall. I know it got a good score, which it should, but yeah. it got a great score. 8.3. There you go. And they also named it the best reissue. Okay. Pretty good. And as you know, that, uh, as you know, and, and folks, you hear me say this all the time, Pitchfork is long winded. So I cut this down a little bit. So here's That's a good idea. I got to say. Quote, it was decided in March 85, as the final dates were approaching, to record a concert for home video and beam the event live to Europe. At the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, New York, Prince and the Revolution tightened up their act and put on the performance of their lives. This wouldn't be just any Purple Rain show. It would be the definitive document. With this concert film finally receiving the deluxe treatment it's desperately needed, it's clearer than ever why Prince and the Revolution Live was such a special moment. The sorts recordings, which have been sitting in Prince's Paisley Park vault for the better part of three decades, have been given a full remaster, far exceeding the compressed sound of the original video cassette that bootleggers have been copying for years, or even the DVD included with the lavish Purple Rain Deluxe Edition from 2017. Every detail can be appreciated with crystal clarity, from Prince's breathy sighs when he stretches his falsetto to its limit, to the bluesy ballad, How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore, to his confident chuckle between verses on Irresistible Bitch. The Purple Rain tour was a Herculean triumph, made possible by a tangled web of people carefully managing every aspect of the show each night, from staging to lighting to costuming to music. This fact wasn't lost on Prince. He used the increased visibility of the Syracuse show to give thanks to as much of his entourage as he could. Baby, I'm a Star evolved into a long, formless jam session, and everyone on hand was brought up to the stage. Protégé group Apollonia 6 were even flown to appear, despite not being part of the tour. 
Prince placed immense trust in his collaborators, occasionally setting his instrument aside and counting on his band to keep things going so that he could focus on getting the theatrics just right. When he finally holds his guitar for longer than a few minutes to play an extended encore of his spiritual communion, Purple Rain, time bends to his will, and a third of an hour goes by in a blink. He's given us a firm reminder of what we already knew. My band is great, but I'm still the greatest. The studio album was already indebted to the arena rock explosion of the 80s, capturing streaks of that explosive live energy by sourcing several tracks straight from a legendary performance at First Avenue. At Syracuse, Prince pushed each track as close as he could to its theoretical endpoint, the loudest songs becoming louder, the sensual moments bordering on voyeuristic, and the spiritual themes came down like divine revelations. Prince and the Revolution Live is the culmination of months of tireless practice, a refined gem so filtered of imperfections you could hardly believe it came together in one take. Finally, Purple Rain can flourish in the environment it was always meant to, and the whole world is invited to bear witness. Love it. Nice ride up there, Pitchfork. Well done, Pitchfork. Once in a while, you get it right. You yeah, yeah. Here's one. Uh, here's a review. I've never referenced this source either. Guitar.com. Oh, okay. Sure. They gave it a 9 out of 10. Sure. And what they said was this, quote, What we're presented with here is the newly unearthed, freshly cleaned up and remastered audio of that internationally broadcast show. Playing live at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, while a beloved concert video of the show has also been digitally remastered and available on Blu-ray, it's the new sparkling music of the performance we're most eager to listen to. Now available on a 3LP vinyl, 2CD box set, or streaming via Dolby Atmos, Prince and the Revolution Live is undeniably the most complete document of the impact that Prince and his Revolution compatriots, Wendy, Lisa, Brown, Mark, Bobby Z, and Dr. Fink, could have on a crowd. Whirring to life with the excitable energy of Purple Rain's blistering opener, Let's Go Crazy, what's immediately noticeable is the separation in space that each instrument now has in this polished mix. From Wendy's pumping rhythmic guitar charge to Prince's frenzied soloing wrought from his beloved flamed maple telly. The guitar in particular is much more spotlighted than the previous, much muddier sound mix. Intro aside, the first hour of this near two-hour extravaganza is given over to a salvo of vibrant cuts from Purple Rain's predecessor, the effervescent 1999, the title track of which sounds particularly massive here, with an extended funk workout near the midsection stretching out the arrangement and keeping energy high. A kinetic, impassioned Little Red Corvette boasts a gnarly hyper-solo deployed by Melvoin while the man himself cavorts around the stage. And while the man himself is undoubtedly one of the biggest attention magnets in the history of pop, the clarity and rebalancing of the mix elements here also allows Wendy considerable or Wendy's considerable abilities to shine, notably on the dementedly vibrant axe-off that takes place on an electrifying computer blue. Melvoin and Prince duel magnificently on the song's central monolith solo with remastered audio allowing for each guitar to breathe distinctly. Through certain guitar moments, such as a Chuck Berry-esque 12-bar blues freakout at the end of Let's Pretend We're Married and the hot fretboard sprint of Darling Nikki call for repeated listens almost immediately, this lovingly restored record is really one to savor in its entirety. Zoning into the rhythms of Prince's audience baiting the extended mid-song jams and near-biblical pronouncements to an increasingly enraptured congregation are all elements that make this near-two-hour journey worth taking. 
Since Prince's death in April of 2016, it was somewhat sadly inevitable that Paisley Park archives would extensively be mined for studio outtakes and demos to work up new posthumous releases, not to mention any obligatory reissue campaigns. However, it seems that attention and care has really been taken by Chris James with this remastering. The results essentially are the closest we have to a direct time machine back to that Prince and the Revolution Roadshow in its full mid-80s pomp. With crystal clear, boosted audio, every graceful, wild, and joyous lick of music lives anew. Love it. Love, eat. Pretty good. Yeah. Here's another source I've never referenced before. Actually, most of these, except for Pitchfork, never referenced before. Spectrum culture? Mm. Sure. I had a hope that Spectrum was a reference to our own late great Spectrum oh, arena, but I'm not sure that it is. Best, the best. The best. The Spectrum was the best. Here's what Spectrum Culture had to say. Quote, this album has been doing the rounds for years, but here it's presented in its remastered and highly polished format from the original tapes. The show is filmed and broadcast live in Europe, so when Prince says hello, the world, at the beginning of the party, he pretty much means it. The clarity of the mix is astonishing in places, with subtle vocal inflections being more obvious than on the previously available bootlegs or VHS tapes of the show, with Prince's breath being evident on occasion. You don't feel just like you're in the room. You feel as though you're on the stage. Like that. Prince was a generous performer, and live stands as a testament to show how he would often take a sidestep out of the spotlight during a show, trusting the revolution to hold court for him. At various points, the interchange between Wendy's guitar and Brown Mark's bass playing is rapturous, ably supported by Lisa's keyboards. Bobby Z's funkadelic drumming is both precise and frenetic in places, while Dr. Fink is a master of the jazzy keys. Despite the quality of the band, this is Prince's night. There is a third party present, though, and the feverish crowd plays their part throughout. When Prince lets the crowd take over some of the lines or when he uses his trademark trademark call and response squeals, he emphasizes the synthesis between musicians and audience. You know, maybe Prince knew what he was doing. Live is a rare thing. It's the live album that really works. Love it. And here's my last one for this episode of Facts and Figures. And uh, this has a special Philly connection at. Oh, talk to me about it. So this is a this is a. a a website, I guess, that's called Flood Magazine, which I okay. had not heard of before. No. But the review is written by A.D. Amorosi. Oh, wait. That name's familiar. Wait. Because A.D. Amorosi is a Philly guy. Oh. And he wrote for the City Paper and a bunch of other places okay. and Philadelphia Magazine. And I myself was once interviewed by A.D. Amorosi. There we have it then. Nice. There we have it. So here's what A.D. Hey, A.D. I don't know if you're listening, but shout out to you. Shout here's out. what A.D. Amorosi at Flood Magazine had to say about Live in 85. Quote. Calling Prince restless is like saying Joel Embiid is kinetic or Brad Pitt is handsome. It's a given. In constant motion toward the next thing, whatever the next thing could be throughout his career, Prince ended the touring cycle for his most successful album, Purple Rain, earlier than expected, so as to move into the pop bliss and psychedelic blitz of his then, his then next work, Around the World in a Day, then started recording his next LP, Parade. There's a precedent for this sort of thing, as David Bowie switched gears a decade before Purple Rain and began dismantling his theatrical showcase for the sci-fi rocking Diamond Dogs so as to commence playing the swaggering soul of young Americans. One thing that Prince did far better than Bowie at the time, however, was to create a full concert film and soundtrack for his Purple Rain's 1985 tour, 
one that showed off the best, most unified ensemble of the revolution in its fullest and funkiest flower. That he never released the film or its soundtrack then is a Prince lover's victory in the present as Legacy drops this remastered live production film and soundtrack this month. The audio has been completely remixed from the original two-inch multitracks with the Blu-ray's volume and clarity punched up via Dolby Sound. This show and its material have long been part of the public Prince ledger, bootlegged and beyond, but never with such stunning clarity. In particular, the color-corrected look of the 85 concert footage is realistically vivid without feeling day-glow dated. You can almost feel Prince's crushed velvet duster breezing by you from the stage. No matter what the process is or what Atmos brings to the late Prince's proceedings, his muscle was the revolution. Bobby Z, Lisa, Wendy, Brown Mark, and Dr. Fink. An intuitively inventive, churning combine that challenged their frontman at every turn. The revolution turned on a dime from densely bluesy and creamfully soulful ballads topped by their boss, boss's falsetto, like How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore or Do Me Baby, to conspire to gospel confessionals like God and When Doves Cry, to spare glittering funk raves like Irresistible Bitch, all with crisp dynamism. The long unreleased live recording of Possessed is just that, an overly grand R&B barnstormer in tribute to his hero James Brown, with saxophonist Eric Leeds propelling, even provoking, Prince's soulful shouts. Yet from his long, winding guitar solos to his always breathless, richly nuanced vocal takes, Prince never lets the audience in Syracuse in 1985 and at home today in 2022 forget who is this maniac music's centerpiece. And then in a flash, the film and the album is over and you miss Prince all the more. It is true. Well, well written, my friend from Philadelphia. Well written, ADM Rosie. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I'd say those reviews are fairly positive. I think they're I think they're generally positive. Yeah. We'll be back after a quick break. A family of blue people from the bright yellow planet take a fantabulous summer vacation trip all over the universe. Young Heon gets kidnapped by giant rats. And the whole family almost gets danced to death in outer space, but they still manage to go to intergalactic beaches, county fairs, nightclubs, motels, and they go shopping. On the podcast, I'll read from my middle grade novel version, and I'll play songs from the album. So come here, Space Vacation, the musical, and remember, the universe is like a song. No, I think I think folks are nailing it. I, 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 because I was so aware of it at the time, and of course, like I said, recorded it on my own and, and listened to it and was aware of it. Like you kind of sometimes forget about that because you had it, and it got thrown in the bottom of your shoebox where all your cassettes sit, and you and you, you kind of lose track of it. So to come back to this and listen to it, and and the comments those folks were making about how the mix just reveals certain types of playing aspects of the band is so true. Like I, I tried to note some things that popped for me as I was listening to some of the songs, like this just is like, this is a genius. Um, but we know Prince is a genius, but like the whole structure of this concert to me is what really intrigued me. Like I was trying to really track and, 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 and I can get into this. I don't want to get into this with talking through it generally or what, Jared, but I really think he created three acts within this show. Yeah. Um, with yeah. different ideas and, and, 
you know, rises and falls and conflicts. He like there's an there's an inciting incident in, in Act One. Right. And, yes. And it moves through. And I, I think it's genius. I think it's how he brings the audience fully into the experience. And, and it all leads to, of course, the monumental moment of a 30 minute version of Purple Rain, which is incredible. It is incredible. And I think I think your assessment of sort of this three act structure is correct. I mean, I think it's notable, you know, when, and, and folks, just so you know, we're not going to do a track by track breakdown because right, right. We, we all know what these songs are. We have covered them. I think almost all of them before in some capacity or yeah. another. So yeah. we're not going to analyze the songs per se. We're not going to do that, but we are going to talk about the show in general. But anyway, just to come back to your point, I think it's really notable. In fact, that when you look at the set list for the show that mm-hmm. is on the album, it's almost entirely from Purple Rain in 1999. Yeah, that's that's something. Sorry, with one exception. No, I'm glad you mentioned the, that because I think that's really interesting to talk about. Um, yes. That he he was it was might be his only tour where he played pretty much the whole album on, on in a concert setting. Correct, and it's the only the only other album that makes an appearance. If you don't count B sides, is Controversy. Do Me Baby shows up, right? That's right. Controversy. And, but everything else is from 1999 and Purple Rain, and and it's very rare even today. To hear about an artist on a tour playing in an entire record, let alone a new record, right, in its entirety, right, right, and, you know, because now, I mean, and I'm sure you've seen these, and maybe you've even attended a couple. Like I know I have. There are a lot of like legacy tours now. Like it's the 20th anniversary of this. It's the 30th anniversary of this. Like I just went to one before Thanksgiving. I, I saw Liz Farron concert. It was the 30th anniversary of her landmark debut album, Exile in Guyville. And oh, she played wow. the whole yeah, record. yeah, yeah, yeah. She played the whole thing, right? That's that's today, you know, but it, it was very rare that someone would go out. Of, like Springsteen didn't play all Born in the USA on tour. No. no. Or, to your, like, or, or you, saw, you saw you two do uh, Joshua Tree. They, there were songs in that note that when they re- relaunched the concert, they never performed live in the Until initial. Now. Yes, yeah. correct. It was just such a rare thing. And yeah. I also think that speaks to, you know, and we don't need to relitigate the genius of Purple Rain in the album, but it's so flawless, really, that it it's like, how would you cut any of it? Right? And I think there's something too, again, it's just the, the, the amplification of the movie, right? It's the leverage of the movie because every song he, the whole album is at some point touched upon in the movie. Yes, correct. So people are coming into this, most likely bought the album anyway, but if they just saw the film even and was right. like interested in the film and the view, and again, we can talk about the image too and like the look of this too, which is another part of this whole experience. Like they were familiar with all this music, like it's in the movie. So I think it gave him more leverage to say, we got to play that whole album because yes. people know this whole album. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And you're right, it, it is, is flawless. It, yeah, I mean, it is. Pretty flawless. So... I think too, there's something, uh, you know, about, you know, we obviously we've talked already and all these reviews talk so much about the power of the revolution. Yeah. But I think something I want to point out that I don't think anybody said it exactly, not this way, not the way I'm thinking of it anyway, is because the band was so well rehearsed, because they were so tight, there was something that happens when, when a band is, is clicking together on all cylinders like that which is, it's like a, it's a weird little magic trick in that 
even though everything is rehearsed, it feels and sounds as if it's completely organic. Yeah. As if it's happening only in the moment. And I, and you and I have talked about this before, Ed, we know that Prince liked to jam, you know, he, he enjoyed a jam. He liked a long coda. He liked to extend. He liked to sort of stretch things out. That's all true. But having said that, I don't believe for one second, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't believe for one second that the revolution had carte blanche to play whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and that's okay. But I think that's, I think that's sort of the trick here is that even those jams were rehearsed though. There wasn't anything that was casual or, or, you know, they might discover things in the moment, but everything was practiced and rehearsed. You know? Oh, absolutely. It's 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 uh, it's obvious as you listen to it. I, I think he did build in and we talked about this, I think, in prior maybe different pods. But like he built in a couple opportunities, I think, within Baby, I'm a star, which we'll get to maybe talk about that where there's a little bit more um, room to do some things. Of course, the extended intro to uh, Purple Rain gives some well, space to do some things there. But outside of that, there's some actual jams happening. But you can tell they, these are rehearsed, considered jams. Absolutely. This isn't just like, let's see what happens, guys. And, you know, yes. even, even even when he's calling things off, I have no doubt they were practicing. They might not have known exactly when he was going to lay down on the two or the famous 25 we hear in this one. Right. Where right. They right. literally I, I wrote this note. I counted them, guys, several times to see if it was really 25. It's certainly 25. They absolutely yes. nail 25. Well, um, yeah, because yeah. because to the point, again, of one of those reviews, you know, one of his. um one of his forebears, one of his inspirations was James Brown. Absolutely. And the famous flames were as tight as a drum because yeah. that's what James Brown demanded they be. Yep. And of course he was a famous taskmaster who find his players yep. when they when they weren't on beat or whatever. Um so yeah, I mean like he he wants that he wants that to to be as tight as James Brown's band. He wants them to be as tight as the famous flames. Absolutely. No, you, there's James Brown, his, his legacy, his um, spirit. I mean, he's alive at this point. I don't want to make it sound too dramatic, but like it's all over this, this concert. Yes. Like James Brown is so all over this concert and how it's structured, how he looks, how he, he presents himself, presents himself, how he works with the band. And like I told you, I had the, the, the luck of seeing James right before he died. And yeah. I was watching his, even at that advanced age, I was seeing things he was doing. I was like, oh my God, Prince was doing that. Like Prince got right. that from James. Prince got right. that from James. Prince got that from James. Like you can see it. So it's it's all over this particular concert. Yes. Agreed. A hundred percent. So I guess what we'll do is that should we pick out some highlights for each of us and yeah, do you want me to talk through the acts a little bit and maybe that'll yeah. check it a little bit and then yeah, if we want to go it. off that we can but like let's do it yeah i mean listen is there a better opener ever than let's go crazy like if Tough to imagine there is one. It's pretty much the best. Yeah, we talked about it. Like, like, and look how strong. Let's think about this. How strong this material is live. I mean, the album is essentially 
a live versions of these songs. Mostly a lot of them right. are live cuts. So this whole thing of, of, um, of course, like you mentioned, he, he's, he welcomes again. And I, I'm curious to get your take on this. Cause a lot of Prince tease and talk in this concert. So I want to get your, your, your feelings on some of where he's really in, interacting with the audience in a very like teasing in a teasing manner. But he starts with that. You said, hello, Syracuse in the world. My name is Prince. I've come to play with you. Yeah. <laughs> right. The crowd goes nuts, right? Right. But then he goes into Let's Go Crazy. And again, what what a better is there a better song to start a concert with than that whole dearly yeah. beloved? Like right. we're gathered here. Like it's it's yeah. it's it's a spiritual gathering. Um bring the tent, come into the tent. Like this is happening, folks. Yes. Like it's it's what a better way to launch this thing and you know it's torrid and and i and listening to the pod i was uh mentioning before from the estate the revolution said prince would purposely speed up the songs yeah in concert settings because he wanted them to maintain energy so he would speed them up purposely and right. this and this grooves like it, it it's rocking uh he he rips into it as you would expect what I found, this is where I think he he just, as me as a fan, just completely sucked me in and like I was going to follow him for the rest of my life or his life or both, was watching something like this. Because if you think about Prince's recordings, like think about When Doves Cry specifically. Famously in the 80s, he was stripping shit down, right? It was like the Lynn drum machine, vocal he doesn't have bass in When Doves Cry famously, right? So like there's minimal, minimal instrumentation in his re- in his releases. Like think of 1999, for example, that whole yeah. album, essentially. In this concert setting, he has an opportunity to fill the sound out. And man, does he fucking do it. Like, it's so good. This is where I was like, this guy is so good. Like, he's purposely pulling music off the recordings <laughs> to get his different effect. But then when he's in concert, he fills it out with all this instrumentation. So it's not like he's just playing the songs. Like, right. when this thing transitions from Let's Go Crazy into Delirious, and he masterfully incorporates the extended version of let's go crazy into that song into delirious. Yeah. Yeah. And he's doing the, just slamming on the keys. I'm like, this dude is just off the hook. Like it's, and that of course that extended versions notably in the concert or in the movie, I'm sorry. So people are familiar with that. If you didn't have the 12 inch, you still probably were familiar with that because of the movie. So that transition in its own right is insane. But let, let me give you time to speak to it. I can go on forever. But like the opening itself and this court of torrid pace he has from let's go crazy up to take me with you, which is just he's he's like already at 30,000 feet flying high, like at, from the moment it takes off. But Yeah, no, he is. And I think, you know, to 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 circle back very briefly to a question you raised for me, you know, like, how do I feel about his talking here? There's a, there's a, there's a big difference for me, and I think probably for most people, the difference between someone who's engaging with an audience versus someone who's engaging with a microphone or a listener right. on their ear, right in right? a studio, it, right? Yeah, it's very different. It's a very different thing. And so to hear him talk to the crowd and the crowd respond and and respond with such hunger for him, joy for him, you know, for the band, like it's delightful to listen to and it's exciting to listen to and it's, and it's, it's thrilling. So that's really great. Um, I agree with you. I mean, this whole first set that you mentioned, you know, this, these first five tracks, it's dynamite. And, and, and I, and I give him a lot of credit here too, because what he does is all of these first five songs are fairly up tempo or giant hits already. Right. So we have, Let's go crazy, delirious. Nineteen ninety nine, 
Little Red Corvette, Take Me With You. Well, those are all hits. Yep. And they're all songs that everybody wants to hear that's in the crowd. And so when you get them that jazzed up, when you when you say, here I come, I'm here's all these things you want to hear, and now because I have given you this, now I can do something a little weirder. Exactly, Jared. That's where I'm going with this Act 1, Act 2 stuff, right? Because yeah. He ends that sequence, like you said, with Take Me With You. Like you said, he's hitting with some really high mark songs that are already huge hits. Let's right. Go Crazy was number one. Delirious was a top 10 song. 1999, I don't, I don't think it made the top 10, if I recall when we said that, but it was a hit. It was and a hit. then uh, Little Corvette was a top five. And then you Take Me With You was a minor hit, but right. I hit the opportunity there to turn the lights on in the fucking place. Right. So the audience sees how many people there's 40,000 people there. Right. And then that's where he really turns up the whole idea of them singing the song. Right. He does. He yes. pauses the band for him to say, take me with you. And he has yes. them repeat that. And at that point, he's got them in the fucking palm of his hands. Right. Absolutely. Like, like, and that's like, that's what I love about what you just said. So there he's consciously constructed a sequence of song to say, I'm going to get this band or get this crowd totally absorbed in my world and now i can take them into a more interesting place which happens yes. with act two and when we get into this yankee doodle dandy thing that happens next right yeah we get yankee doodle dandy into doomy baby including a purple house spoken intro there we go into irresistible bitch we go into possessed and then how come you don't call me anymore which are the next five songs and that is a it's a weirder stranger mix of, of of music um where he like he goes from the piano to i mean like that yankee doodle dandy alone is bizarre i mean it's it strange absolutely strange, strange. you know and fascinating uh, Irresistible Bitch and Possessed being, well, you know, Possessed had never been released and Irresistible Bitch was a B-side that would have been known to the hardcore fans, you know. Right. Um, so he he's he's giving, this is something else I really appreciate that, that great live performers do. He's giving the hardcore fans these gems, these weird little, you know, like I, I'm one of these people where you go to the show and, you, and the band is like, oh, you're playing this song that they've, you only played once in 33 years. And I'm here, right. you know, like that stuff is amazing when that happens. Yeah. And he's doing that here. And I think that's also very calculated. Um, and it has a lot of power because it, it keeps it keeps the hardcore fans really engaged and keeps the more casual fans being like, oh, what is this? I never heard this before. What is this new thing? Um, so it's also very smart. It's also very smart. I'm with you. And I think what, what gets really interesting about, say, if we want to call this act two, is, again, yeah. he gets way more engaged with the audience, right? He's saying things like, can you see me? Can you hear me? We hear the crowd going crazy whenever he's asking these questions. He quotes when doves cry. He quotes 17 days. Right. Right. He's dropping these different things. But what I think is brilliant beyond the song sequence that you're mentioning and what he's pulling in, he actually introduces conflict. Yeah. Starts to introduce this idea that he's conflicted. Right. Right. He wants to be with you, but he's not sure. Like right. the whole group, right? He wants to be sexual, but then there's the, the guilt of God, which we'll get into the whole God sequence in a little bit. Right. But like he introduces this conflict that if you're already been sucked into his world, 
all of a sudden you like care about what's going to happen to him, right? Because he's like literally bringing in, I don't know. He's like, he says, but I can, I want to be with you. I want you to stay with me forever, but I can't, I can't, right? Like teasing it out like a mofo, but really sucking that audience in. Then he launches into, and he does all this stuff. If if you've ever seen the video, guys, I'm sure most of you have. A lot of this is done with like, it's, you can't even see the dude on stage. So like he's, he's setting up this wonderful theatrical idea where basically like close your eyes and imagine what's happening as a crowd member, because you can't see him on stage during these portions. He's asking these questions. He's prompting you to think about these things. And he's, he's alivening the, the audience's imagination in my mind. Like it's a brilliant stroke of theat- the- theatricality here that he's absolutely he's introducing here. And then he does do, do me baby, which is pretty much probably known by a good portion of the audience. It was a decent hit. Um, but like you said, then he it goes into these B side songs, irresistible bitch to me. That fucking guitar. And, and like we, we reviewed this as a B side from we did the hits in the B side. We did again, such a stark. Recorded version. It's just yeah. like drum and a little bass and some weird sound effects underneath it. Right. Wendy cranks this motherfucker out. Like she, <laughs> she when that when he says get up, you know, if you want to get up in the island dance, it's cool. And she's playing that rhythm guitar. I get chills talking about it. Like, this is probably one of my favorite parts of the whole fucking concert, because this song explodes through and it grooves. And Brown Mark's bottom is insane. Yes. And similar to the song Possessed. I actually thought this was a James Brown song when I first heard it back in 85. Yeah, I I thought it was. And if you listen to the original Possessed, because I think it's on one of the reissues. It sounds nothing like this fucking version. Like it's it's right. not even close to this version. This right. is a James Brown workout version of this song, and he gets to start poking around at the at the edges with the band by bringing people like Eric into the fucking band. Yeah, and we'll talk about when we get to Baby I'm a Star with with Sheila, but like Eric coming in and playing that horn, like he just cranks and counting off the band and doing that famous "Give me twenty five and they do the twenty five without messing the beat there is insane it's so good but he's not done because then he goes how come you don't call me anymore and and there's there's a portion here of this that i thought of you jared because i love when you talk about how prince was brilliant about showing the sacred in the sexual yes and this popped for me because i think that that thought that you had was in my head there's a portion of this part of the of the act two he introduces the idea that he has sexual temptation. Do you remember this yes. a little bit? Yep. Yep. Like I got temptation. And of course that's hitting at a song that's going to come out in the next album. So that in its own right, smart, but he talks about sexual temptation and then he goes off in this little piano thing. It's like a gospel piano groove and he's just singing like, ooh, 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 and they're just repeating. Yeah. When I heard it this time, and I've always liked that piano riff, whatever he's playing there. I don't think it's a song, proper song in any way that I'm aware of. It's a celebration of sex. Yes. It's a celebration of that temptation. It's saying it's okay to be tempted by it. It's it's right. it's isn't it wonderful to be a human being and have those feelings and have yes. those urges. And I never really went that far with it until I thought about what you had said about this in previous pods. And it's an absolute celebration of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, I think he always understood 
in a way that our Western society doesn't always quite know how to handle that well, that there isn't that big of a gap between, you know, what is supposedly sacred and what is supposedly profane. And his his embracement of finding the spirituality in the sexuality is so key to his whole persona uh, and always has been. And um, you can really see it in these live documents. It's very present. It's very present in those moments. So I I agree completely. And even, but what's fun is when when we get to, how come you don't call me anymore? Um, While there is certainly still sensuality in the mix there, it's also like this lonely, like, like super this vulnerable, broken, like vulnerable, oh. like sad little boy who wants someone to love him kind of thing, um, which I also think was part of who he was, in fact, yeah. in reality. Um, and I know, too, as part of that song, too, that famous part where he starts talking to the audience and he goes, do you have another man? Like, is that why you're not calling me? Yeah. And he goes, is he fine? And then he does the famous. Tell me, darling, does, does does your man have an ass as, fu- as good as mine or something like that? And the crowd goes <laughs> right, nuts. Right. And I know as a 15-year-old, I'm like, how can someone be that fucking confident about sure. themselves? Sure. I like marveled at it. Like, yeah. just just so cool. Like, I was just like, yeah. fuck, man. Yeah. You know, totally. um, I'm sorry. But yeah, this, yeah. No, don't be sorry. No, no. I, I mean, I totally agree. And then, and also, again, we talk about, we've talked many times over the years of the pod, how important sequencing is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously just as true in a live set list as anything else. And so to go from how come you don't call me anymore to let's pretend we're married, right? That is the, that is echoing. That is the answer to that. How come you don't call me anymore? Well, let's just pretend we're married. Let's just do that. I know. And um, I, I will say very briefly that let's pretend we're married is one of the highlights of this set for me. It's banging. It's so good. This let's pretend we're married. Well, I'm with uh, you. And again, this is like I was saying before, like he reimagines the song. It becomes a boogie woogie workout track, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's a boogie right. woogie song. Yeah. And um, it's it's so good, and that's that's yeah. the, that's how you just I mar- would just like this guy's a fucking he's just a genius like he just yeah. can't yeah yeah I'm I agree. with you and, and so I mean I think you could even make the argument that the second act is really Yankee Doodle up to God I would say actually so so folks so that that sequence goes like this Yankee Doodle do me baby irresistible bitch possessed how come you don't call me anymore let's pretend we're married international lover god right so here we have sort of the 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 uh what's the word i want like sort of what his thought process is as he's trying to get laid like you know like he's trying to get this woman to have sex with him and it's do me baby you're an irresistible bitch blah blah so forth and so on but what happens at the end of this the guilt, the concern, the fear, the unknowing of all of it comes crashing down on him in this version of God, which I know you want to speak at length at, and I'm going to defer to you on this. Yeah. Um, it, it, I can't imagine any major pop star of this era, or maybe any era, really, who would have had such a giant huge hit purple rain thriller like a virgin born in the usa all around the same all the same year right all around the same time yeah yeah 
where right in smack dab in the middle of their live show, they do an eight and a half minute weirdo avant-garde rant about God, a conversation right. about with God. Made us all equally. If you want to sing, it's all right. Yeah. There's no one else who's doing something that's this strange. And 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 what's more is, and I think this is important, we have discussed at length on the pod about Prince's faith, how important it was to him, how central it was to him. Um, and that's certainly very true. That's all very true. And certainly this is evidence of that. But I cannot stress enough how weird this is. Yeah. It's so weird. It's so strange and off the mark. It's not just him getting up there and saying, hey, everybody. By the way, you should believe in God because God believes in you or like whatever right. hostilitizing wants to do. This is some weird avant-garde performance piece that cannot be, again, I keep repeating myself, but like the weirdness of it cannot be underestimated. No, I'm with you 100%. And and again, if you guys, if you go and listen to that pod, Roy Bennett was the uh, designer for the stage and all that. And he said it was a pretty, for its time insanely complicated show to do because there was a lot of hydraulics yeah. and all this stuff for Prince. And he played God, meaning God Prince apparently just said to him, Hey man, I'm going to start having conversations with God. I want God to be the lights, have the lights talk like they're God. Whenever I prompt you, you just, you just reply as you think yes. God would reply with the lights. That's, that's all. That was it. So he said, we get more intricate and it gets stretched as the tour was on. It was like this conversations were longer and longer. So Prince did, I guess just kind of improv a, a portion of this, but that the whole song, God, the song, which was a B side, right? Um, you hear an instrumental version of it, which I think, which I think is called father's song in the movie, but um, that's a haunting piece of music. Generally. It is. It is. And he screams like, like he, like he doesn't scream on any other song in this. And, and I had this idea or feeling like, and maybe I'm get a little too corny on this one, but his screaming in this almost is like it's the whispers of the sounds of almost creation, like of totally. the yeah, sounds yeah, of when yeah. the world started or the Big yes, Bang was just starting to or the universe yeah. was settling. But there was there's something that's yeah. almost to that down to the cell level to me yes. when he's doing these screams um, and having that conversation with God. And I would probably push the line in my mind of act two further because only because he really lays into this whole con confliction of lust and love, it right. gets amped up even more on computer blue because they do the hallway speech version, essentially of that track. Right. So you get to hear a little bit more. You get to hear literally, I'm assuming it's, it's Wendy and Lisa doing the voice here, but that robotic voice that you know of that you're, you right. talk about with the, with the ladies um, says love and lust. They both have four letters, but they are totally mean totally different things. Right. And he's like working right. that through, Wendy's playing it out with the guitar. It sounds so good. And then we just dive right down into Darling Nikki. Woke up the next morning. Nikki wasn't there. I looked all over. All I found was some panties on the stairs. Said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we get into the most lustful song in the whole collection off of Purple Rain. 
and he kills it. And the thing that I find interesting in the way the sequencing works for me here is I hear it differently than I hear it on the album because I feel he slides into this lust part. But to your point, again, I think he celebrates this, that he's he's celebrating the fact that he was willing to give this a go with someone, even though it was sexually driven and that he allowed himself to be vulnerable. There's something to be celebrated there that that he was allowing himself to go swim into those waters. And the reason I feel that way is at the end of the track, now famously on the record, there's that back masking in the concert. However, it's just played in normal speed and it's it's a religious thing, right? Hello, how are you? I'm fine because I know the Lord is coming soon. That's how he yeah. ends Darling Nikki here in the concert. Right. right. So to me, I feel like there's a there's sort of a redemption that ends at, ends at the end of this act with that whole working through of computer blue, which takes us into what I call act three, like salvation. It's like the last run of the songs. That's when doves cry. The big ones. I would die for you, baby. I'm a star. And then, of course, the ultimate. Purple Purple Ray. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. I think we're I think we might have slightly different um yeah, like end points or transition points, but I I feel Yeah, they're minimal. It's not that yeah. They're minimal. But like I I, on the whole I agree with what you're saying because the the third and whatever whatever way you choose to divide this up, the third and final act of this show is Purple Rain, the album, right? That that's the third and final act of the show. And you can make the argument that that whole album is is the journey from you know the journey to salvation let us say you know mm-hmm. the, the rising up to salvation right and it's magnificent i again a couple of highlights for me i want to point out or at least one in particular that one of the reviews mentioned this computer blue is fucking off the chart it's, it's so good it's so good so good it, it's i mean the whole album is unbelievable but there there are things that really stand out the computer blue really stands out to me yes agree it's, it's it's and it's a song that um we didn't hear much of later on in terms of his live career you know i mean i'm sure i popped up once in a blue moon but not a lot yeah after this tour and um it's really extraordinary and the guitar work as some of those reviews pointed out is stellar stellar. yeah absolutely stellar top-notch stuff so I, i agree with you um yeah you know, and as we come, as we come, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What are you going to say? No, no, no. no. I'm going to say I, I, I forgot a very important song because I, to me, the act ends when he goes from that into beautiful ones. And then, and then the transition goes, uh, just because I love that um, the redemption of allowing yourself to fall, which I mentioned, and then the beautiful ones is even further allowing yourself to be vulnerable, to allow yourself to be taken by someone to the point, even when you know that historically for you, 
those beautiful ones that you chase smash the picture, but you're willing to give it another go and just offer yourself in full vulnerability, which we've always talked about. That's the power of that track at the yeah, end where he's right. screaming, do you want me? Cause I want you. And do you yeah. want me? And, and like it, that's where it hits the apex. And then we move into the transition into act three, in my opinion, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I hear all that. And I think that that's, that's just as valid as any other point of view. Sure. I think that's yeah. Right. You know, I mean, we've talked at length before on a couple of different occasions about the power of this purple rain, the track of purple rain, the live yeah. version of this, which yeah. is so incredible and epic. I mean, the whole thing is a triumph. Now I'm going to say here, I feel like to be fair, I do want to offer a small critique. Sure. Um, and it's this, and this is, I think it's not really so much a critique of this, this album as it, it is a slightly, maybe a critique of the man himself in terms of being a live performer as dynamic as he was as skilled as he was as incredible and engaging and magnetic and charismatic as he was, this is a small quirk for me that bugs me. And this is true of his entire live output. And I think that you'd probably agree with me and it just hits different people differently. It bugs me that he won't play. He often won't play a song all the way through. Right. 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 Like he sort of, he, he, he plays like sort of mini medleys of things. He doesn't, you know, he'll play a couple of verses. He's did, he did that his whole career yeah. where he, it's not like he would say, all right, now I'm going to play, I don't know, little red Corvette and just play you that song. And then that's it. Right. Yeah. It either ends early or it morphs into something else or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there is something both delightful about that <laughs> and something both in, possibly frustrating to me i'm like no just yeah. finish the song i just want you to finish it like right. play the whole thing i want to hear every verse and i wear you know sometimes yeah. that just drives me a little batty um yeah. it's a yeah. very minor it's a very minor no level. no no. i get that i do I, I i think most fans would agree with you on that that would drive i think he's actually this is probably one of the rare tours where he's not done that to such a degree like when we get into like parade and other tours where he'll just do snippets of songs and there'll be like right. a medley that he throws right. through. Like he's actually playing most of these songs, but he is cutting verses out and things like that. I'm with you a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's <laughs> at least partially because again, given everything we've ever read about him and the things that he've said, he got bored. He got, yeah. he would get bored really yeah. easily and, and bored really fast. And I understand that. Yeah. Um, I mean, even, even, you know, last season when we covered one night alone live, I mean, he does, take me with you. And he does, you know, but like he, he does, uh, he does raspberry beret, but not really, you right. know, he does like a verse and then he moves right. on to something else. That's just, that's just what he does. Um, and it is what it is. Uh, so it's a, it's a quibble. I just like, Oh, come on. Just, I want to hear the whole thing, you know, but he doesn't want to do that. Well, I'll give you a quibble. So we can say that we're not like completely just like, you know, painting this with rainbows all the way through. I've always felt, and I'm sure this is not going to be a popular opinion, when Doves Cry as a live song never feels like it works 100% for me. Like, I feel like yes. holding the arrangement that's on the album, it feels a little thin. Like, it sounds it sounds fine, and it's a great song. But live, it doesn't quite have the, the punch, in my opinion, that the recording has. I think that's right. I agree with you. I mean, because it, probably more than almost any other song, at least on Purple Rain, um, it is a creature of the studio. Yeah, I think so. Um, and so I, I don't I don't disagree with you on that. I, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. Like, yes, of course, it's fine. And we're thrilled to hear it. And it's all yeah. great. But it, it, I agree. It, it's it's probably the it's probably his biggest hit that doesn't work as well live. 
that's how I feel. I really do yeah. feel that way. Yeah. yeah. And I don't I think, think he played it all that much in the, in the, in the, you know, the years um, after this, like he, he does it certainly in um, love sexy. I believe um, I don't think he plays it in the parade tour. Um, I don't think he plays it that much live, frankly. Yeah. Um, going forward. But anyway, yeah. it's always a joy to hear it. Cause it's a great, it's a great track, but yeah, it just doesn't feel like it quite, or he didn't like, whereas kiss too, which is so stripped down, but like when he plays that in tours, after you know in 86 and beyond he finds ways to fill it out with horns and different things but i think he felt like he wanted to keep when doves cry as it was because it was such a unique track um and maybe he felt a little more precious about doing anything with that one versus others i don't know well i and i also think too i think that's right i think you're correct i also think that like if we're if we're using kiss as the example as probably his second biggest single after when doves cry or kiss yeah. is the biggest one whatever order that is if nothing else, Kiss has the guitar you can sort of hang your hat on a little bit, you know, if, if even the intro a little. We've got that you can hold on to. It's harder to hold on to something musically in When Doves Cry, right? Yeah. Because it's all synthesized. It's all electronic. Yeah, it almost sounds like, you know, a kitty piano hook, right? Like, dun, dun, right. dun, dun, dun. Like, that's, that's right. it. Like, that's right. the hook for the song. Right, that's the hook. That's the hook. If, if you know, if he had decided to incorporate, I don't know, like a funkier bass line, the bass line he famously removed, then maybe you could hold your hat on that, you know, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do right. that. So, right. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a tour de force at the end, right? Cause he's hitting all the main parts of the latter, latter part oh, of the yeah. album. So it's oh, one yeah, does cry. This, this is island. all nitpicky stuff. This is, yeah, nitpicky. this is us just trying to talk about something a little different than just like this over the, over the, over the, the moon praising, but uh, right. I would die for you comes on. It's, it's as solid as you would want it to be. And for me, one of the things with the remix or the remastering that popped for me was baby. I'm a star because he includes, as, as you mentioned in one of the reviews and beyond, like, everybody's on stage for this. Yes. Jerome comes on. Apollonia six is on. Sheila comes on. The bassist is, is really popping. The horns are popping. Um, he stretches this thing out. He slows it down at one point. And do you want some more? Let me hear yeah. you say, yeah, all that shit. Like it is an absolute groove fest. Um, and he, he grinds the mofo out. Like he, 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 he doesn't leave anything on. He leaves everything on the stage during that song. You can tell a hundred percent. And like, it, it, it's a testament to the power of, of where, where he was at this point in his career and the music he had created. I mean, baby, I'm a star would be a closer for almost anybody else. Yeah. That's what you would close on for almost anyone else you can think of. But because unless you, he, you wrote the songs, <laughs> purple rain, unless you wrote purple rain, right. <laughs> right. Unless you wrote purple rain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've talked to this this Purple Rain version because I think it came up as one of our favorite um mm -hmm. guitar solo tracks yeah, in Prince. And you know, I, I think we probably talked in, uh, about it enough there, but you know, this this is the culmination, you know, you, you everything leads to this moment. Um again, I think he geniusly builds this set list and the structure of the of the concert to lead to this moment. And he allows this thing to breathe for 30 minutes. Like you're yeah. you're you're taken to another world. Yep. the salvation you got a 30 minute ride my friend like that's yep. and and like i like i mentioned when we talked about it on the guitar uh pod episode i actually really love the the front end of the song i love the stretch and the plucking he does it's almost yep. jazz guitar-ish that um i find really fascinating almost spanish guitar vibes going on before yep. he just 
hits the foot pedal and explodes. <laughs> then the whole thing tracks where you expect to track where he's just, it's like, like you say, like I love the way you sometimes describe his guitar, like clouds parting, lights exploding, <laughs> lightning bolts being thrown down. Like that's yeah. what happens when he just hits that foot pedal. Yeah, it's it's totally true. And I also think too, to your point about how the, how the track opens. Uh, and again, some of the reviewers kind of spoke to this, what I'm about to say. He doesn't come on for quite a while. Well, it's like six minutes or something before he comes back out. Yeah. It's a great moment to have the revolution and, and Wendy in particular sort of lead the crowd here and like yeah. let them have their moment without him. And, you know, yeah, they're just vamping. I mean, I understand they're just vamping, but Wendy's the one who gets them to start singing the crowd. That's a good point. You know, yeah. and, and uh, I think it's important. And I know we've talked about this before for all of his genius for all of his endless creativity and energy, for all of his boundless curiosity about what he could do as a musician, I personally believe, and I don't think you disagree with me, that he never reached the heights that he did with the band the way he did with the revolution. And part of the reason I feel that way, and I've talked about this before, but just to reiterate it here, is that the NPG as skilled as they were and as awesome as they were. And we, we love the MPG and they're great. They're great. They're great. They're great. No one in that band was ever going to challenge him or push back. He was mm. their dictator. He was the boss. Yeah. But Wendy and Lisa would push back. Wendy yeah. and Lisa would yeah. challenge him. Yeah. And in that friction, you create such timeless lifted music. And that's true of all of the great songwriting teams in the history of rock and roll whether it's Lennon and McCartney or Mick and Keith or, you know, who, whatever duo you want to name. Right. And this is a duo. Wendy and Lisa are a unit and Prince they're, they're a unit, right? right. That's the duo. Right. And to let them have this moment yeah. to let them be out there by themselves before he came out to join them. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, let's not forget too. Right. And we've talked about this way back when, they were kids. Wendy was a kid. She was 20 years old, folks, when they did, did this tour. I mean, that's insane. 20 years that's old. insane to me. You know, imagine being 20 years old and you're out there playing your guitar in front of 20, 40, 50,000 screaming people losing their minds by yourself before. Yeah. Anyway, it's nuts. It's it is. Crazy. It's nuts. Prince was only 26 during this period. It's it's insane to me. You think about how young. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It is. It's, insane. it's, it's crazy. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Ed, we, you know, we, like we said, we're not going to dive into all these tracks individually, but, uh, we've talked at length about them. And I, I think you're 100% correct in your assessment of there being a three act structure. That being said, what are some of the highlights for you, the individual highlights for you on this album live in 85? What are the songs that really stand out? I mean, honestly, I think the one that pops for me the most is the whole sequence of possessed. I'm sorry, of, uh, irresistible irresistible bitch to possessed because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. to you to like you said it's a deep dive like it's a little treat for folks who don't who are like hardcore fans yeah and they're just such fucking grooves like yeah. they just it shows you i wanted to mention this too because we used to what was the other uh feature we used to do before musicology that we would do um that would show the future what shows, yeah it shows the future was that just it was called show the future we didn't have a we name for which tracks best shows the future oh that's all we did i thought there was some branding we did around it never mind well we didn't okay it's all good i feel like the baby i'm a star 
with the kick in and Sheila's involvement in the horns shows where he's going with when he gets to like, say the sign of the times band. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know? So I think that's interesting. I love the way he, like you said, let's pretend we're married where he does the, um, makes it a boogie woogie. Yeah. When he re when he kind of restructures songs, delirious becomes part of let's go crazy extended. And, um, really the sing along with how come you don't call me anymore in the beginning where he has the, the yeah. crowd singing. So there's multiple yeah. moments I could go on and on, but I, I would say the the top top, if I, if you forced me to pick a moment that I was like, Ooh, this is something it's when Wendy starts that rhythm guitar for irresistible bitch. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I cannot deny any of that for me. I already played, showed my hand here a little bit. Um, it's computer blue is such a standout mm. for me. I think it computer blue I I believe comes al alive in a way that you wouldn't expect from the studio version. Um, because that too feels like a studio creation very much to me. Yeah. But yeah. the way it comes to life in this show is just, man, it just knocks me out. And then the other, the other moment that I want to highlight, I mean, like you, I could name a thousand and I'm going to exclude purple rain and I'm going to exclude, yeah. exclude baby. I'm a star, but I also want to talk very briefly uh, actually about the crowd how mm. the crowd goes berserk when little red corvette starts yeah. i mean goes berserk yeah and you know i would say i think this is true Little Red Corvette would have been, I mean, it's certainly one of his five biggest hits ever. I mean, it got to number two on the chart, in fact. And that's one of the songs for sure that any audience who came to this show were dying to hear. They were yeah. dying to hear Little Red yeah. Corvette. Yeah. And um, it's just magnificent to hear it live. It's just magnificent to hear it. And um, you might remember me telling you, Ed, I, I've told this story a couple times already, but just really briefly, the first time I saw Prince and he played an acoustic version of Little Red Corvette, it was like it just destroyed everyone. It just yeah. like broke the house down. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's just such a powerful song and it's in an unexpected way. And and the the best part about live albums is the crowd. Yeah. Right? That's what yeah. Yeah. that's what that's what makes any live album punch is yeah. how the crowd is reacting. And then there, you know, there are plenty of examples of live records out there where the audience is muted or you can't really hear them or, you know, whatever they've done to the sound. You want to hear the crowd. You want to hear them be full. You want to hear them react because they are you, you are them. Yeah. And, and, and you want to hear people respond how you yourself would be responding. Absolutely. And so hearing the crowd just lose their minds when, yeah. when we, when we hear the sense to little Rick Corvette, it's a real joy. It's a real yeah. joy for me. No, it's yeah. so fun. The crowd is so good in this. They're they're the the twelfth man. I don't know if there's a version of that. For yeah, yep. they <laughs> are six member of the band, whatever. But um, yeah, the the crowd here is is as loud and as and into it as you would imagine they should be and, and could be and would be. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And like like we said, that Act Two, if you want to call it Act Two, where he's really talking to them, their responses to some of his questions are just off the hook. It's very fun. Yeah, it's great. His, it's just it's command just he had over the audience. Oh, it's unbelievable. He's a born showman. He was yeah, a born absolutely. showman. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Ed, uh, with that in mind, um, do you want to do a little 
Musicology. Musicology. Do 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 do. Hit it, my friend. What do you got for musicology, my friend? Well, really brief. As I've already said multiple times, I'm a connoisseur of the live album, and there are any number of live records that I could speak to in this moment that I think really capture um, the energy and power of a performer. So um, after thinking about it for a while, I came up with this one. This is uh, has been a recent re-release on vinyl, not unlike this Live in 85 show, which is maybe why it came to mind. And this is Oh Me, Oh My... Aretha, live in Philly, 1972. Whoa. So this record, um, it was released on digital a while ago, and I'm not sure what the about the original release date, to be honest with you, off the top of my head. But I think last year, it was finally released as a record, record store day release. You know, this like sort of new remastered, you know, whatever version of it. And it's just a stunner. You know, Aretha in the peak of her powers 1972 here in our town of philadelphia yeah and the whole show is just outstanding from top to bottom but there is in particular an epic cover version of simon and garfunkel's bridge over troubled water on this oh, wow it's like eight and a half minutes long and it is just an all-timer and uh aretha I mean, what do I need to say about Aretha Franklin? We all know who Aretha Franklin is and the power she possessed. And um, if you've never heard Aretha live in Philly, 1972, I highly recommend that over this Christmas holiday, go get yourself a copy of this, find it, track it down, give it a listen. You will not be sorry, my friends. That's a great pick, bro. That's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this one, uh, I think we've already said James Brown Live at the Apollo. We had to at some point, right? We must have. I don't know, but maybe not. I think this is a bootleg. I don't think this is a proper album. But how about James Brown Live in, in Zaire? Oh, from the Rumble in the Jungle? Yeah. Speak on it. Speak on it. I mean, I only seen some footage of it, but like he is, you talk about someone who's like still at the height of their powers. Like he comes out and just destroys. I think he yeah. starts with um, Get Off Off of That Thing. Yeah. So of course he's singing, he's saying, I'm back, I'm back. What 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 a great way to start yeah. a concert for James Brown. And then his dance, his moving, and like it's just off the hook. Like he's still firing in all cylinders, um, even in, in that in that late 70s or mid-70s uh, era. He's he's still kicking it hard. He's he's crushing it. And for anybody who's never seen it, there's that great documentary. Well, there's a couple documentaries. There's one about that concert, but there's also the documentary about that the fight. fight. Yeah. Uh, called When We Were Kings. And if yeah. you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. And they have plenty of footage of the concert. And James is just working. He is just He's working. just 2,000%. Two, um, 2, he's all over it. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good in that. And I think, have I ever said this quote before? Ed, I don't know if I've said this on the pod, but um, years ago, I saw Paul McCartney being interviewed by somebody on something. Mm-hmm. And someone was like, oh, you know, the Beatles, blah, blah, blah. And McCartney. McCartney says, he says, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we were pretty good. It's not like we were James Brown or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked famously about that. What was the, what was the show? Um, the, um, where the, the Tammy where, show, what was it? The Tammy show. Yeah. Where, the one where James Brown opened for the stones and the yeah. stones were afraid to follow him. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense. And yeah. I think Mick learned how to dance that night. Like, I really oh, do think he watched 100%. James was like, okay, I got to pick the game up a little bit here. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's a great pick. Excellent cool. pick. Cool. Very good. Um, 
Do you want to uh, dig it deep? Mean? Let's dig the picture. Dig, 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 dig the picture. Dig if you will the picture. What do you think, Jared? I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's very of the era, right? It's and it's it's, it's very vivid, right? It's the very colors, vivid. The colors are gorgeous, right? The colors like, are gorgeous on this on this album uh, cover. They're they're it feels so. I mean, they all they all look great. They're all so young. It's so like it's sort of like they're living in some kind of weird ethereal other place. I mean, I love it. I actually love it. I think it's great. And I love too because it's always like this was the time uh, in Prince's career where he was c- kind of this like mystery, right? So of course Prince is not look. He's looking away from the camera. Everyone yeah, else is looking into the yeah. camera. Right. I think I think a couple of people are like different perspectives are not completely looking but prince is he's right in the front but his eyes are completely diverted from the camera's gaze so yes it's like who is this guy you don't know he's a mystery it's it's playing into that whole persona he was building during that time period in the 80s it's a perfect totally. perfect it's image perfect. for the for the album yeah i completely agree yeah, yeah absolutely excellent you know i'm realizing we did we didn't even give an overall score for this thing oh my god we didn't no what's your overall score it's a fiver, baby. Like it's you got to listen. You got to get this thing. Like it, nothing compares to this this piece. The one thing I will put out there, and this is this is for the folks from the estate who I know probably listen to our pod and love it. You guys need to release <laughs> the, the the infamous birthday show from Prince, June seventh, nineteen eighty four, where he plays a number of Purple Rain tracks, but he also plays Roadhouse Garden, Ugh. Destiny. Um, and the band's on fire. And Brown Mark. Like, I, I had a whole different experience about Brown Mark's bass playing after hearing that live version. But anyway, back to this for a second. It's This is a great, as we said, a great document, a great um, of his of his ability, of where the revolution was at this time. The height of their power. Once in a generation, honestly. Yeah. In terms yeah. of the collection of songs and a concert that reinforces a movie that was... Yeah just put out like i don't know if there's anything else ever been that did this before agreed 100 um, and it's one of the, maybe the first and only concert that allows you for a wondrous purely magical two plus hours allows you listener to be in the movie with prince that's exactly. that's the thing that's the joy of this whole experience in my opinion exactly i i, I co-sign all of that i completely agree this is a five prince symbol uh, collection of music that you have to have. If it's not, if it's not in your own personal collection of Prince music, then you have to get it. If it's not too late, ask somebody to get it for you for Christmas. Get ask right now because you deserve it. And <laughs> everyone deserves it. Absolutely. And and folks, like I said, I think we should make it a thing that we'll pick a date in December where every year there should be a a, a, group, a viewing of this particular concert. I guess I can do a quick question for you. I guess let's get a question for you. Question of you. All right. So I don't know. Jerry, you'll tell me if this is a good question or not, or I'll find something else. I'm trying to find something quicker. Um, okay. Question for you folks. So you were name dropping some some different albums of the era, different things, concerts, whatnot. What two, two, a two for one here. Two for one epic 80s stars joined Prince on stage during Baby I'm a Star at the February 23rd, 1985 concert at the Forum in Inglewood, California. These Ooh, are two this isn't easy. This is excellent. epic, epic stars of the era joined Prince on stage for Baby I'm a Star. 
in Inglewood, California at the at the forum, February twenty third, nineteen eighty five. I want to take a guess at that. Um, all right, folks, that's an excellent question for you. A Christmas edition of a question for you, folks. Uh, you know what to do. Reach out on Instagram. Uh, reach out on Facebook. You can email us at whendovespodcast at gmail dot com. Hit us up with those answers. And we will be very glad to give you a big old shout out and feature you on the show in that way. And um, speaking of that, I'm sorry, Jared. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I, there was someone who came back late and uh, or I didn't catch who had the hookers one right that we mentioned oh, last, right. on the last yeah. one. I'm just trying to find who it was. I can't remember. Was it Anne? I think it was Anne. Uh, and shout out to Bonnie, who actually posted on our guys. You should get on our Facebook page. It's, it's fairly active. Bonnie, our wonderful friend Bonnie, actually last month, Jared, saw Tal Wilkenfeld in concert with her husband. Really? Yeah. She's playing with the Almond Betts Family Revival Band and actually oh, yeah. posted, oh, wow. posted some video of, of Tal playing bass. So, um, folks, take a listen. So, Jared, I just wanted to shout out really quickly uh, from our Facebook page group. Annie Ward jumped in there and our said, hey. friend Annie Ward. Yes. Yeah, Annie. Said that uh, question of you for the originals, the group was the hookers. We said, yes, it was the fishing reference that we mentioned. And right. we also said Susan Moonsey, her sister, Laureen and Jamie Snoop, who was Prince's manager at the time, were the original members of that trio. There you well, go. How about that? Annie, well done. It's nice to hear back from you. Yep. Thanks, Annie. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, so friends, this is the final pod of the year. Yes. Um, and, uh, we want to say, we hope everyone has a great holiday and yep. a happy new year. Yep. And, um, we hope you get all the goodies that you want and everyone is safe and healthy. Absolutely. And, um, we love I guess we'll go on a short break, right? In January. I yeah, guess. We're going to go on a short break, just a short little break to recover yep. from the holidays. And then we'll be back. Uh, and we're excited. We're going to, we're going to finally, Briefly, for a little bit, we're going to steer away from Prince proper, and yep. we're going to dive into the Prince associated acts. What's the Prince improper? Prince improper. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the time, Sheila E, Jill Jones, the family, the sixes, Vanity and yep. Apollonia. Yep, all those, all those acts. We're going to take a a dive into and 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 how Prince obviously shaped their sounds and wrote their songs and played yeah, their instruments absolutely. and did all those things. Yeah. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to that folks. That's going to be a fun little journey back in time and listen to some of those, yeah. those albums. Um, we have a hundredth episode coming up sometime soon. I think we're going to have some special ideas or some plans and, and hopefully incorporate some of your list, you listeners into that hundredth episode, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. We'll let you know about that. We'll let you know. Stay tuned. Yeah. Um, so, for this holiday season, this is Jared. And this is Ed. Signing off and saying, may you live to see the dawn. dawn. Happy holidays, folks. Happy, Happy New holidays, Year. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong.